1: Father, we thank you for the fact that, figuratively speaking, there are 10,000 charms for us in your hand now. What we're really talking about there in that language is there are glories, there are privileges, there are blessings, real and true and ours in Christ, a gift from you. You've given so much and you keep giving and you will always give. You are generous with us, your people. And I pray this morning, Lord, that as we look at your word, as we bring ourselves before you and hear what you have to say to us in 1 Peter, that I'm going to ask you, Lord, this morning to take this passage and cause our hearts to grow. To grow in a thankful, happy rest. It is easy to to look around and to miss the charms, to miss the blessings, the glories, and I pray you'd help us to think about them a little this morning and to see them afresh and to rest. We are fortunate. You are God and you are ours. Thank you. Open up your word this morning, Lord, and teach us. Draw our attention to it and move us. Have your way in us and honor Christ and do us good. Thank you, Lord. We Christians are exiles in this world. Aliens and strangers, even here in the land of our birth. We are outcasts. Where the world increasingly set against us. We find ourselves disagreed with, and not only that, misunderstood, not appreciated, perhaps even disenfranchised. We're exiles. Peter called us that right out of the gate, verse 1 of this book, chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter. And then last week, he added on the pleasant news that while we live here, it will be from time to time necessary that we be grieved by various trials. Not just necessary that we have trials, necessary that we be grieved by them in some way, that the challenges that we face threaten us, make things painful and hard. Necessary, that that be. So it's not going to just perhaps happen, it will happen from time to time. We are exiles and we will be tried and grieved here now. Man, we are living the dream. Actually, that's true, we are living the dream. If you look at things one way, at times it may perhaps seem like we are maybe even just hanging on by our fingernails or at least engage in a very difficult struggle that is anything but desirable. Hardly anything anybody dreams for. More like something you dream for the end of. You dream for the end of the exile. You dream to get home. You dream for the trials to be re- relieved. We look at what we're facing now, and we also in the middle of that see a, a world that is quite the opposite. It's a Psalm 73 sort of world that, that around us are those who are not the people of God and are prosperous and happy, who celebrate their personal choices and are sure to gain all of the public accolades for it, while well, we are cast out. If you look at it that way, that's casting our life in a difficult light. But another way of looking at things. Peter gives us a lens this morning in verses 10 through 12 of 1 Peter 1, a lens of the past and a lens of heaven. That when we look through our life through that lens, something else shows up. Our present existence is very desirable. Right now, it is in the middle of an astonishing, fascinating, glorious dream. That's where we live, in something imagined never experienced or seen, just imagined. It was a dream, which we now, Christian, we live. This, it's true, we are in the middle of trials and exiles, yep, that's for sure, but we are a privileged people here right now, not because of our nationality or our origin or our economic status or our race, not because of anything else here in this world, We are a privileged people because our normal life is the dream of the Old Testament scriptures and the fascinating, the fascinating story of heaven. That's us, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all week long, every day of your entire life. A privilege. That's what Peter's going to hold up in front of us this morning and kind of give us, as I said, a lens through which we can look maybe a little bit differently at, at what it is that we experience. And I pray that what comes out of this is that, that some sense of, of a value, some, some new way of looking at life, of, of what we are and where you are, we kind of rise up and refresh you this morning. That's what we're going to look at. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8, kind of get some of the... The ramp up into our verses, but we'll be focusing on verses 10 to 12 this morning. It's 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 1 Peter 1. Make two observations from verses 10 to 12. Here's the first. It's our privilege to live in the times God was preparing for through the prophets. It's a long sentence, I'll say it again. It's our privilege... To live in the times God was preparing for through the prophets. Verse 10 begins concerning this salvation, it's the salvation that we've been talking about all, all through chapter 1 up to this point. We've seen that we were chosen for this salvation, that's what he began there. We were called to it by the Spirit, sealed by the, the blood of Christ, sealed in this new covenant by the sprinkling of Christ's blood, so we each were saved. And then in, the, in him we have a future living hope, a glorious inheritance that is kept in heaven to which we will be saved one day. And all in the middle, all in the in-between the in time, right now, we have a life of walking with him personally, while we are day by day obtaining the salvation of our souls. In other words, we are being made new. We live now relating to Jesus, in communion with Jesus now, refreshed, changed daily, being saved. And that has happened, will happen, is being happened. That salvation, what we've talked about all these last several weeks, another way of putting it would be verse 10's, it was the grace that was to come to us. It now has come. This whole new covenant salvation. And concerning this salvation, he says, the prophets prophesied about it. Also in verse 10. Properly understood, prophets would be the kind of people that you would Usually think about it as prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, the people who wrote the books of the prophets, them. But also all kinds of other people in the Old Testament who in one way said things or did things or lived out things that were prophetic. In a sense, they were forward pointing. They were pointing ahead to this coming salvation. Acted out prophecies, typological prophecies. Take, for instance, Moses, when he sets up the first Passover meal in Egypt. That whole event... Moses can, can act as a prophet, not just because of what he says, but as he, as he puts that whole event into, into motion, lays out the Passover meal, he's acting as a prophet, as well as, of course, Jeremiah, Isaiah, etc., So all the Old Testament prophets, many people throughout all the scriptures, they stood wherever they stood, and they spoke or they wrote or they acted out something about the coming grace, looking forward, and as they did, it says, they searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring. Three different words there, actually, which really mean basically the same thing. They looked really hard at it and tried to figure it out. We'll use Moses in the Passover meal again. Moses tells the people in Egypt, you know the story, it's in the book of Exodus. Take a spotless lamb, bring it into your home, slaughter it, take its blood, put it on the doorpost, put it over your house, and when you do, everyone who's in the house under that blood will be spared from the wrath of God as it passes over you and falls on someone else who's not under the blood. You will be spared, though, and you will live, and what will come out the other side will be set free from bondage. We will be able to leave here and travel to our real home, the place of rest, our promised inheritance. He issued those instructions, and then as everyone kind of scurries away to get it done, you can imagine him walking home as he thinks, what is about to happen? And why did God have us do it this way? What is this? And he's walking. You can imagine him seeing the stars in the sky, countless in the dark night. And perhaps he thought of Abraham, and maybe he remembered the story of Isaac and how God in grace provided a ram to die, saving the son of Abraham. And he thought, what is going on here? Because there it is again. There's, there's something consistent here. There's an animal that dies in the place of others, and what comes out the other side is something sweet, a deliverance from life, a deliverance to life. What is that? And he couldn't figure it out. Never. Couldn't figure it out. Nor could Abraham figure out what was going on with him. Nor could Eve before him. It's, it's, all, it's always like right there, but it's not. The Spirit of Christ, it says, this is Christ in the Old Testament. The Spirit of Christ is whispering to them, giving them hints and clues and shadows and types. A seed from a woman. I woke up everybody, huh? A seed from a woman, Eve knows. But what? Who? A son from Abraham. Abraham. A spotless lamb slain. A lion from the tribe of Judah. A king like David, but better. Who? When? How? They're working on that. They're thinking. They're trying hard to figure it out for thousands of years. It just, it's a sentence here, but you realize David was a thousand years before this point. Moses, Abraham, thousands of years back. For thousands of years, they're thinking there's a Savior coming. There's a Messiah king. There's a sacrifice to save. There's a kingdom of glory. Through whom? When? Where? How? It is the most complicated. Almost right there in plain sight, hidden, can't quite get it. Intriguing, beautiful promise that's about grace that leads to glory, mystery. Hidden. Right in front of them, but they can't, they're working on it. Eve and Abraham and Moses and Samuel's mother, Hannah, who talked about Samuel and whom Samuel would anoint David the king. They all knew that something was going on, but what is it? Don't know. Who is it? Don't know. And they searched and inquired thoughtfully and carefully because they knew that whatever it was, whoever it was, whenever it came, something marvelous would follow, that the outpoured grace of God Grace would bring suffering of this Messiah and grace then would bring after him glories. The word is plural there. Glories. Messiah's kingdom full of blessing and deliverance from all evil and all danger and in particular, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. They knew it was coming, they saw it, valuable and so they investigated and in a way they were rewarded verse 12 says they got an answer of sorts they looked and they were told by God it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which things have been now announced to us by those who preach the gospel. These things, these things, it occurs twice there and then once more towards the end of the verse. There's a body of things here. There's information. And the point is that the Spirit of Christ was revealing to the prophets these things, this this body of information about the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories, and they wondered, and God told them, not now. But actually told them a little more than not now. He told them, follow this, it's, as if God said, I've given you some things and these things will be helpful for you and for your people, for your brothers and sisters in your day, yes. But really, Moses, David, Isaiah, really what's going on here is that I'm using you. I'm using you as a servant for my people of the future, your future brothers and sisters, those who are coming. So I'm telling you these things about Christ and how he will suffer, be despised and rejected, cursed and hung on a tree. Think Moses and Isaiah. And I'm, I'm telling you that then he will rise and, and live again. Think Job and David and Isaiah again. And then I will pour out my spirit to indwell and change people everywhere. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel. The kingdom of God is going to come in power. And I'm telling you so that you can write it down and leave it as a record so that centuries from now, when it happens and it is proclaimed to another people, they'll have a record and some things that they can look back at and check and and, and see that these things actually are true and they will believe. That's what verse 12 says God told the prophets. Which means something. Put it a different way. It means that the Old Testament was written primarily for us. For you. God is throughout the whole Old Testament preparing something that will support a great salvation that those folks will never see. Isaiah 53, for instance, was written for you. For us. You, Christian, are remarkably privileged. You are a new covenant citizen in the kingdom of God. And as Jesus said to his first disciples, it's true of us too, blessed are your eyes for they see and for your ears for they hear. I tell you that many prophets and many saints of old long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. But we have and we do. The fulfillment of the ages now is in our lives here. Our prophecies, the prophecies have connected in our lives. We see the questions raised and answered. And notice what Peter is doing here, what God through Peter is doing here. He's not actually giving us all the prophecies. He's not actually listing them out. I mentioned a few of them. I mentioned a few of the prophets and things they've said. But he's not doing that because his point is not to to make the case anymore, not to prove that this Christ, this Jesus, is the one that was talked about. He's only trying to put in front of us something that says, you are a privileged people. You're in a precious spot. Because we tend to look around today at our lives and say, My life is terrible. What are you talking about? There's something going on here right now. Like, I'm talking about. All of this, Peter's elaborating on all these prophets and all the things of the past. And most of us sit here right now and are saying probably two things in our minds. Okay, yeah, I see that. I I have no idea where that lands in my life. I'm going to bet a large portion of us here are listening and wondering how this matters. And I almost want to say that's exactly the point, that you don't have any idea how this matters because it seems completely irrelevant. And Peter's saying, do you realize there are thousands of years of Old Testament saints who would give their right arm to live in your shoes right now? As an exile, as one suffering the griefs of all these trials? Are you crazy? Nope. Not crazy at all. You're crazy. I don't mean to be insulting, but you're the crazy ones. Moses would envy you. David would die to be in your David was king over the whole nation. He would love to be you. He would love to be you. He longed for your seat today. We tend to look around and we just think, "I'm I'm nothing here." No, you sit in the kingdom of God. You sit right now, in the middle of what everybody in the past was was talking about. What they were all set up to serve you to bring. It is your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, everyday experience. You're privileged. You are right now in the middle of the new covenant, which means that you are right now in the middle of the glories of the grace of God's salvation in Christ, which leads us to the second point. It's our privilege to live in the glories that God has provided in the gospel. The only reason it's a privilege to live in these times is because these times are the times of the glories. It's our privilege to live in the glories that God has provided in the gospel. Middle of verse 12, he switches from talking about the past to the present. The prophets were serving you. We're laying out all of these things so that these things then would be announced through the preachers who preach the gospel. And notice carefully, announced through the preachers, not by them, through them, by someone else, by God. God's talking to you through preachers. In fact, they preached the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The verse continues. God sent God the Spirit so that God's Spirit would empower the preaching and make sure that the message actually sunk in. So God has done much here. God gave prophets, gave them a message to make a framework, about what would happen, servants to you. And then God sent Christ to the, to the place in time to, to do what he said he predicted he would do, to actually carry it out, to go to the cross like he said, to rise like he said, and then God sent messengers through whom he would announce the message, and then God sent his spirit to make sure that the announcing of the message actually sunk in. It's God, 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 and the emphasis is to you. Three times, in fact. It's all for you. They were serving you, announced to you, preached to you. The language actually has that emphasis three times in there, God making a point. God did all of this for you, not for Moses, not for David not Hannah or Samuel or Ruth, not Isaiah, not even John the Baptist. John the Baptist, him and everyone before him, all of those men and women were faithful. They were giants of the faith. I say their names, people around the globe know those names. People around the the globe know those names, giants of the faith, and all of them together like a herd of horses brought to the water, but not allowed to drink. They're all led up to this point, even the the final one, John the Baptist, all brought up to this point, but they're not allowed to drink because that water, the, the fresh living water of the new covenant in Christ's blood is not for them, it is for you. John the Baptist, Jesus said of him, do you know, of all the people born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist except the one who is the very least in the kingdom of God. John the Baptist John the Baptist walked right up to the door and put his hand on the knob and opened it and looked in and died on the threshold, never seeing the other side of the suffering of Christ. He, he stopped right there and died right there. And Jesus says, There's no one greater than John, opened the door itself. And little old you, new covenant saint, you're greater than John the Baptist. Nobody knows your name. Everybody everybody around the globe knows John the Baptist's name. But you, says Jesus, are greater than him. Because you live just the other side of the threshold the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow subsequently. That's your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, everyday life. You live the dream. What John the Baptist almost saw, what Moses dreamed about, is your life. Little old you. They saw, they knew, they heard of the subsequent kingdom glories of this great salvation. They spoke about it, but they only saw it from a distance. You experienced them. What are they? The glories of the kingdom. What are they? Well, we could talk about it in a bunch of different ways. One way to talk about it would be to say, wind back up through verse 9, 8, 7, 6. Another way to talk about it would be to, to look at the whole story of the Old Testament. But one big heading we could put it under is, this is the age of the Spirit. That's why everything else. You live in the age of the Spirit The Spirit of God in the Old Testament certainly was present, certainly was speaking to the prophets, certainly was active. But home base for the Spirit of God was right above the ark in one building, in one city, in one country, on one continent. And now he lives inside of you. His temple is you and us. This is the age of the Spirit, which means that everybody in the past was looking forward to a time when the Spirit of God would not just visit them and speak, but would come and permanently dwell in power to make you new to, in the words of these verses previously, deliver to you the salvation of your soul, change you, make you new. The Spirit of God would come and live inside of you to deliver to you regular, joyful communion with Jesus himself. The Spirit of God would come and abide on you to keep you, to protect you and carry you all the way home to an inheritance that he has stored up for you in heaven. The Spirit of God would do all that for you and do for us what he would do for us. He'd make us a people that are sweet, He'd make us a people like back in Genesis 2, right before the fall. He'd make us again new. A people who lived together in peace with God in the garden before there was any warfare with him or with each other or even with ourselves. We lived in the garden and we worked and called it play. We were fruitful. We built and we created and we loved. We rejoiced. We were we were image bearers of God without flaw. God is by his spirit making you and making us that now. These are the glories, the reversing of the curse, the dwelling of God in your hearts, the making of you and us new, saved from sin, made like God again. They saw it in the past, but they did not live it. That's your life. And you look around and say, ah, and the heavens stand amazed. Pause there again. You don't believe that. I know you don't. Things into which Angels long to look. That's the end of the verse. I didn't make that up. God says, these things have been announced to you. Angels long to look into them. This is the house in which you live, and the angels of heaven are noses against the glass, peeking in, looking for a crack in the curtains to look at your life. Why on earth would they do that? My life is terrible. I'm an exile here, grieved by all kinds of trials. <laughs> Christian, you're the most privileged creature in all of the universe. More than the angels. They understand now the mind-blowing sufferings of Christ. That, that was hard to get. They did not see that coming, but that has happened now. It's in the past. But the glories are now, and they continually long. That's the grammar of the verse. They continually long to look in. It's, it's, a, it's the picture of peeking, of constantly trying to get a Look. At what's going on with you? Because you alone walk with God in grace. They've never sinned, they've never fallen, they've never been forgiven, they've never known mercy. Not a bit of it. They they understand the definition of the words, they can read a dictionary. But they've never fallen, they've never sinned, they've never been forgiven, they've never known grace, they've never known mercy. That's your life. And they look at it and say, Oh my goodness. That God would forgive, that's what forgiveness looks like, that he would welcome them back, that he put his arms around them, them who are rebels, they who they spit on him and he welcomes them back. They curse his name and he draws them in. They rebel and he changes them. He forgives, he pours out grace, he's merciful. Amazing. Let me see another picture of that. That's your life. They are fascinated by your life. You're a page turner that they can't put down. They wonder what's going to happen. And even in the low moments, they wonder, what's the next chapter look like? Where, where is this going? How is he going to resolve that subplot? How is he going to renew him, them, her? What's he doing there? This is fascinating. They long to look at your life and you're bored out of your mind with your life. I think that this this. As I'm preaching here, I'm feeling like I'm kind of like pushing this ball uphill here because it doesn't make any sense to us. It really doesn't make any sense to us. The text says that. The prophets looked ahead and the angels looked down. We don't believe we are privileged people. But you are. God's fingerprints His supernatural, powerful, gracious, merciful fingerprints are all over you. And Peter wants you to understand that. This great salvation, you are an actor in the greatest story ever told. Paul says it differently in Ephesians 3 verse 10. That in the church... The manifold wisdom of God, the varied, the the many-faceted wisdom of God is being made known to the heavenly places, to the spiritual forces in heaven, rulers and authorities. And he means good and bad, both. But Peter's just talking about good, the angels. God has us, God has you, as a living and breathing, staged Illustration to show off himself. Because the angels will never know your life, they just watch, they never get to experience God communing with them like he does with you. That's what Peter wants to say here, wants us to think about. And I think what we can draw from this is some bit of perspective if you actually thought like this about all the stuff that happens in your life how would that change how you feel about you oftentimes i think we think at least I think, I would feel like I was somebody if I had, fill in the blank, a more important job, some better relationships, more money in the bank, a more attractive house, a more purposeful career, if I had a friend, if I had a date, if I had a spouse, if I had a kid, if I had a grandkid, what would it be for you? I would feel more important. I would feel better. I would be somebody if I had what? What Peter wants you to think about is the, the blank is supposed to be filled in with the glories of the kingdom of God. Oh, you have that. You're good. You're living the dream. You're living the dream. Which, to the degree that does not resonate, should lead us to repentance. Because you realize... Perhaps we could hang something on you didn't preach that very well or you didn't make that very clear. I'm, I'm willing to own that for sure. But we need to realize that to the degree that Peter says the prophets envy you and the angels are fascinated by you and you are frustrated, bored, afraid, to the degree that that's true, one of these two viewpoints is incorrect. And I'm going to go with ours. Which means I need to be changed. I need to repent. Which looks like, Lord, I'm sorry for how I view my life and your work in it. But it also looks like, I believe, but help my unbelief, because I'm not doing this maliciously. I'm not doing it on purpose. But, Lord, it does press in on me. I'm an exile here and I am hard pressed and grieved and it is very easy for all those things to shape how I think about me and us. I believe what you're saying Lord, but help my unbelief it's real. Yeah, come to God like that. Do. Come to God like that. For sure. I believe. Help my unbelief. And what will happen then is God will begin to deliver to you glories he will change you he will reshape your heart and your mind and align you with what's true I'll be honest with you about this passage it is it has been difficult for me to think about can I ever get there I, I, I thought about how I would preach this, what, what it would be like to, to like proclaim these verses, and it's about as awkward as I thought it might be. Because I feel like I'm talking about something that I barely believe. I often, I very, 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 very often look at the glass half empty. And I notice deficiency in in everything. I notice lack, I notice loss, I notice pain. And I I am a melancholy, that's my personality, and I embrace it too much. And so I look at a passage like this and say, I'm going to say to this congregation that Moses envies you. And I don't really think that Moses envies me, I wish I was Moses. I wish I was David. I wish I was Samuel. I kinda do. But I shouldn't. I, you, We live in the era of the Spirit. We live in the kingdom. We live in the glories. And those both things are true. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, but I want to say, and I want to invite you to say, Lord, I believe this, but I don't. Help my unbelief. I think what would happen if we, if we were to, to pray like that, we would have God delivering us, we would have God changing us, and what would come out of the other side would be, I actually would experience verse 8. So I think there's a connection. Last week we talked about verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you know why we don't experience joy unspeakable, full of glory? Because we don't actually believe this is that big of a deal. In some legalistic sense, yeah, I'm, I'm forgiven, that's good. You have Jesus by his spirit communing with you. Life. He walks with you. I know you believe that, and I know you don't believe that at the same time. That's where I am. And so at the end here, I wanna say let's, let's pray Let's ask God to help us actually believe that this is the privileged life, this new covenant existence. I'm gonna pray, pray with me. And we'll sing and we'll celebrate communion. Pray for God's help that we would see things rightly. For grace to believe what's actually true about our lives now—that we have what we need, the most precious of all things—we have Jesus' Spirit in us. Pray with me, please. Lord, I, I myself, just just me, I come to the end of this passage, and I feel a little bit at a loss. and maybe here in our congregation this morning there are others, Lord, that feel the same way. There are stated truths here that seem inaccurate. Will you help us, Lord, to believe the precious spot that we live in? Will you help us to believe the glories that are ours? you help us to treasure you Jesus who delivered them all to us through your sufferings will you help us to rest in in a, a happy rested contentedness while exiles and grieved here we have you everything we need Speak to us, Lord, as we sing and then as we later celebrate communion here. Will you speak to us and reassure us of these truths? Grow us up and mature us, please. Thank you for the privilege of being your new covenant people. Press it into us. Refresh our hearts with these truths. Thank you, Lord. Amen.